Hey fans, and welcome to another edition of the Yellow Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Thomas Poole, Director of Athletic Communications here at AIC. Today I'm joined by women's tennis student-athlete Mary Himanova-Vicente, as well as head triathlon coach Ryan Davis. here with Mary Himano-Vicente of the women's tennis team. Thank you for joining me, Mary. Hi, Thomas. Thank you. Uh, so this year, you guys have had a new coach in Tanner. Um, how has he transitioned to help you guys become a, a more competitive team this year? Um, I think the new coach this year has been a positive impact for the team. Uh, we started off with preseason and season so far it's been all right uh, we have new recruits too mm -hmm. and I think this season's gonna be good for us so talking about tenor he was obviously hired sort of late into the summer I know that's something as an athlete you guys li like knowing who your coach is but it seemed that when he was hired you guys welcomed him with open arms I saw that one day you guys even brought him donuts yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so has he done a good job of building that camaraderie and really that team atmosphere uh, that you guys uh, have had a little bit of in the past? Yeah, I think it has. It is true that it's been a bit of a mess this summer because it's not good for athletes. We didn't know who our coach was going to be and it was a bit last minute, mm -hmm. but I think it was a good change and we have a good, a really good relationship with between the teammates and with the coach and I think it's been pretty good so far. One of the things I've noticed because I've been out and watched a couple of your matches is that I see that some of the finer tuned skills you've really honed in on and you've elevated your game to the next level. Has he been a part of that reason of you getting over that hump? Uh, yeah, I would say definitely. Uh, we also have improved a lot in doubles because mm -hmm. I remember last year with the old coach, we would do more singles related, but of course doubles in tennis is as important as singles and we've been working in doubles and singles too. So I think it's been good by that and the coach has a lot to do with it. Yeah, of course. I'm sure that also helps when you have uh, Michaela Johnson, right, yep. uh, join you into that doubles mix. Can you talk about how you guys are able to work together? Because she's from Ecuador, if I'm not mistaken, speaks Spanish. fluent Spanish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's good for for me, especially having a, an incoming girl from Ecuador that we can speak the same language. Mm -hmm. We have a good connection on court, and we actually play really well. We've won a few games already in doubles mm -hmm. at number one, and... Yeah, it's pretty good to have someone that I can speak my language. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's always good. I mean, obviously someone who you can talk to in your native tongue and you feel comfortable with, that definitely helps. Yeah, definitely. So you guys opened the season at Dominican. Uh, you guys end up losing 4-3, so a very tight match and one that in the past, I believe last year as a team, y'all didn't get more than one or two uh, points here or there. Can you talk about coming out of the gate right away and getting those three quick points against Dominican? Also, I gotta say, at Dominican, we were missing one player. Mm -hmm. So that means we would not be able to play the last doubles and last singles. So maybe we, if we would have had the sixth player, we could have won the game. But I think it was a pretty good start. And yeah, looking forward to more games. So this upcoming weekend, or actually on Wednesday the 25th, you guys are at Stonehill. So another really good NE10 team. And then you guys host Franklin Pierce on Sunday the 29th. Can you talk about what you're planning for this upcoming weekend and how you get mentally prepared for those matches? Mm -hmm. So on Wednesday at Stonehill, they have a really strong team, actually. And that's an away game. So obviously, sometimes it's harder to play away when you're not playing at home. Mm -hmm. 
and for Franklin Franklin Pierce, uh, we we normally have practice the day before, just rallying and getting ready for the game, and yeah, looking forward to our home game on Sunday. Awesome. Well, switching gears a little bit, we want to get to know you, and that's the point of this podcast. But can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, and then how you got started playing tennis, and then ultimately ended up at AIC? So I'm from Barcelona, Spain. I've been playing tennis basically my whole life since mm-hmm. I was four. And when I was 14, I started going to an American high school, still in Spain. And that was an academy that we would study in the American system, but also play tennis. There was a <coughs> tennis academy where everyone played tennis. So mm-hmm. it's like a really special environment, I'd say. So how did you end up from that school over in Spain to end up at ASC? So the whole point of the tennis academy, since it was in American system, mm-hmm. was to send everyone in the school to America. So it was an international school. Maybe there were like three Spanish people, <laughs> and but yeah, there were everyone around the world. And the whole point was to prepare you to go to the U.S. So mm-hmm. that's what I think I was really prepared to come here, and I know what I was expecting. Yeah, I know that from th- when you first stepped on campus. I know talking to you, you had a very good. Uh, understanding of English we know that especially at American International College we have a bunch of international students and sometimes that English connection is not always there do you think being used to speaking English um, at the age that you were helped you with that transition to the United States yeah definitely Uh, I have a lot of friends here at the IC that were struggling with English the first year and not only makes it hard for the sport they're playing, but also with academics. Like mm-hmm. if you're studying in a different language and come to the U.S. where nobody speaks your language and go into classes speaking in English only, it can be hard. So, yeah, I think definitely helped me. Well, I think one of the students who I've seen you around with is Ada Gutierrez Martinez from mm-hmm. uh, the volleyball team. Do you Were you able to help her with some of that as well, tr- uh, that transition in, uh, transition from Spain to the U.S.? Yeah, I think I was able to help her. It is true that she spoke English very well, mm-hmm. but me having this experience of American high school, maybe I was, let's say, not more prepared, but I know where I was getting myself <laughs> into, yep. so I could help her definitely. Awesome. So starting at such a young age, is that something, obviously you have a fairly high skill set with tennis, is that something that you really honed in from your parents or was that a drive from within yourself to become the best tennis player that you could? Um, so my dad used to play tennis. Uh, so he obviously wanted me to go to this academy, let's say. Yep. And also since it was an American academy, <laughs> so to improve my English because my English wasn't really well mm-hmm. back then. Um, so yeah, my parents definitely supported me with this decision. So then they obviously had to support you from a fairly young age for you to come to the United States because obviously that's not only a decision for you, but that's a family decision from a financial standpoint. Yeah, definitely. And it's not something that everybody does. Like it's not the normal thing to do back in Spain Mm -hmm. to go to America, a different country, like at such a young age. So, yeah, definitely my parents were really open minded about it and they knew it was a good um, step for me to come here. So obviously there's some really good uh, tennis that's played in Spain and obviously all of Europe. Were you able to ha- take on some of the best opponents in your age group and that really helped you uh, improve and see what other people your age were doing in order to get your skill to that next level? Yeah, definitely. There's a really good tennis level in Europe overall. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped me 
to prepare myself to come to the US and also being in this academy with all international students. It's kind of similar to here if you think about it, you know, like having all international friends that play tennis, they play mm -hmm. a sport um, that definitely like helped me in order to come here. So this might be a silly question. <laughs> I might know the answer to it, but who's your favorite professional tennis player? <laughs> okay, I think that's pretty obvious since I'm from Spain. It has to be Rafa Nadal. Rafa. I mean, he's had a storied <laughs> career. I mean, one of the best, arguably, of all time. Uh, what really drew you to his game? And when you're watching him, obviously you're cheering for him and your country, but mm -hmm. are you also trying to pick up things that he's doing on court that you can possibly bring to your game? Uh, yeah, I've seen Rafa play live <coughs> like a few times in Barca or in Madrid. Mm -hmm. and, but I also got to say the men's way of playing it's nothing <laughs> compared to the women's way of playing. But yeah, and I remember in the academy we used to analyze games, not only Rafa, but like the top tennis players in the ATP and WTA. Mm -hmm. And we would analyze their games and like try to see their techniques or strategies. And this is something that really helps you once you go into court. So then on the women's side, do you have a favorite professional player? Um, I feel like on the women's side, besides Serena Williams, mm -hmm. it changes more. In ATP, it's always the big three, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. Yep. But in women's side, it changes a little bit more, which I like. So it's not always the same people. But let's say I really like Simona Halep. How? Yeah. yeah. She's always a solid player. I mean, yeah, and looking at is. the Eastern European players, they have some of the best technique, at least from what I've seen and what I can pick up. So much discipline they have. Do you think part of that is just the way that the European style of club and school operate and do you think that they really hone in on the fundamentals more so than the American sheer athletic ability? Yeah I think so um, not only Barcelona but like in Europe there's this the academy mindset where you can play your sport and at the same time study mm -hmm. which makes it easy for everybody so yeah I think that's something that Europeans have that I think it's a very good idea. Mm -hmm. um, so where are you studying here at AIC? Uh, I'm studying economics and finance. And what are you hoping to do with that after you graduate? Or do you still not know? <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> uh, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's part of that's part of the whole plan of college is to get you prepared and you get to learn. You get to mm -hmm. see what different things are out there. And that's part of college. I'm still figuring <laughs> out <laughs> what to do. So since you've come to AIC, you obviously mentioned the international students and how there's a huge body of international students. Is that something that drew you to AIC in terms of the number of students that they have and the diversity that comes with it? Yeah, definitely. When I was looking at schools, I wanted not only a tennis team, but like a school with diversity. And I was looking for international students. Mm -hmm. And the name of the school is American <laughs> International College. So that um, made me look into it. And yeah, that's something that I was like really looking into. So obviously you have made friends from all over the globe. Who has been one of the most unique people that you've met or someone who you've grown very close to um, from the international side? Um, at AIC? At AIC. Um, I'd probably say someone that helped me a lot is Jana Fotic mm -hmm. from the volleyball team. Uh, she's my roommate now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she helped me a lot. I don't know, with like classes, we have the same major too. So... She gave me advices for classes, also for sports side. And yeah, it's a friend that I have here that I really appreciate. So if you're going to give any advice to an international student who's looking to possibly come to AIC, 
and make that decision, what advice would you give to them? Um, just to be open-minded. I think there's really nice people here at the IC. Um, it's really easy to make friends, uh, really easy to organize your academics with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can focus in both at the same time. So, yeah, just because of the international part, I think it'd be great for someone that comes from Europe, for example, to come here. Awesome. Well, the one question I ask every person who comes on the podcast is, what moment in life has influenced you the most? Um, Probably it'd be my transition from a Spanish average school, let's say, Mm -hmm. to go into an American school at 14 years old which I didn't speak English. <laughs> there were barely no Spanish people in the school. It was all international people. And like it forced myself to learn a new language, um, live in a complete different environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that was a crucial moment. And because of that school, the academy, if it wasn't because of them, I wouldn't be here now. I would just be an average student in Spain, studying, maybe playing tennis as a hobby. But that helped me to come here and actually stay competitive with tennis and academics. And you talked about having to being forced to learn English and fairly quick. Was this something that you had to leave home and go to? Or is this something you were going back and forth between home and school? So it's supposed to be a boarding school. So people would leave there. Mm-hmm. But since I was from Barcelona and the school was there, like I was going home every day, obviously. But I would spend... I don't know, from 9 a.m. to like 7 p.m. there. So it's basically the whole day. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was living there almost. So you were pretty much immersing yourself into the culture and then just going at home to, to sleep. To sleep, <laughs> and that's it, yeah. Yeah, oh. that was basically it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Mary, and good luck this weekend against Stonehill and Franklin Pierce. Thank you so much. Fans, we would like to thank Boston Road Service, the preferred auto repair shop of AIC Athletics. Located minutes away from AIC, Boston Road Service offers maintenance and repair services, including everything from oil changes, inspection stickers, to tire rotations, and more. Make sure to say hello to AIC alum Mike Hyder Jr. and mention AIC Athletics when you stop by. Hey, Old Jacket fans. Welcome back to the Old Jacket Experience. I'm your host, Thomas Poole, and I'm here with head triathlon coach Ryan Davis. Uh, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm excited. Um, so this past weekend, you guys competed your second ever event. Can you talk us through a little bit of that uh, event and then also the first event that you guys competed in uh, back in, I believe it was August? Absolutely. Yeah, so it was our second race. Uh, we had two competitors this weekend. We have one sideline with a, a bit of an injury that we're hoping she can come back from quickly. Um, the two ladies that competed though did did great. They were um, second and fourth for the collegiate and first and third for their age group. Mm-hmm. They both had personal best times um, by quite a margin, uh, so we're seeing some serious improvements, and we're excited for the next race on October nineteenth. Yeah. So one of the things that most people probably don't know much about is triathlon. One of the f- probably less covered sports or less publicized can you walk us through a little bit about how triathlon works not only at the collegiate level but also at the professional or just competitive level yeah uh so we swim bike and run as a a basic standpoint uh for collegiates they swim a half a mile Mm -hmm. they bike uh 13 miles and then they run a 5k of 3.1 miles so you don't get to stop 
in between any of those three events. It, the clock starts as soon as the swim starts, mm -hmm. and then you transition from the swim to the bike as quickly as you can, and that's a separate time. And then you transition from the bike to the run as quickly as you can, and that's also a separate time. And then at the end, you see all five times your swim, your transition, your bike, your transition, and your run. Uh, so it's a, a pretty awesome event. It usually takes collegiate females between an hour and 10 and an hour and 40 minutes, depending on their ability. Mm -hmm. um, and for the next two races and for most NCAA races, they're allowed to draft. Where So it means you're, you can bike directly behind somebody mm -hmm. to save a little bit of energy. Uh, that's nice because it gives you a little bit of a team atmosphere. Um, you can work with together with other teams and with your team to get yourself to the run fresher and faster. Yeah, so looking at the swimming aspect of it, I mean, I know if I hopped in a pool right now, there's no way I could swim that distance. How are you guys working on building up that stamina uh, to really go out and compete at that high level, especially in the swimming part to where we don't have our own pool? So that can cause some issues in terms of training, but something you guys have really worked through. Yeah, so we're... We're swimming as much as we can at Western New England College. Um, thankfully, they've been gracious enough to give us some time in their pool on mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings. Uh, so just having time in the pool, getting a feel for the water. Oftentimes, people, like you said, you can go out and ride a bike. You've been doing that since you were a little kid. Everyone can walk around and, and run pretty basically. Um, but when you're in the water, you're essentially 10% of your body weight. So it's kind of like being in space. Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of uh, balance drills. We do a lot of like stretch band work as well as being in the pool and just swimming and doing drills uh, to get them. It, it's more about form and efficiency than it is about strength in the pool, especially mm -hmm. in the beginning. So you can be not the greatest swimmer in the world, but have great form and swim fast, as opposed to being really strong and getting in the water and just sinking like a rock. So it's it, it's been a lot of technique-based work. Yeah, I mean, from what I heard uh, with triathlon, I they do the swimming part because you have the fastest recovery time and then biking because that's the next fastest, but running obviously takes a toll on your body. Is that how part of the reason why they set that up, how they did, or what's your thought process with that? Yeah, pretty much. Um, oftentimes people are able to get out of the water, like you said, fresher, mm -hmm. and then get onto the bike, and then once they're done with the bike, they still have a little bit of energy to run, but they want to do that last because it's just the finish. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also from a safety standpoint. In the original triathlon, they, they had it in reverse order. So they were um, running, biking, and then swimming. Mm -hmm. And especially when your muscles are really warmed up and you get in cold water, oftentimes you cramp. Yep. And if you're in the water, you're more likely to drown. <laughs> uh, so you obviously don't want athletes drowning. So it's less likely that they're going to be less fatigued at the beginning of the race. Hopefully, they come in fresh and they can get out of the water as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And then the least dangerous event is the run. Because obviously, when you're biking, you're going really fast. Yep. You can crash. Um, and at the end of the race, you're not as mentally clear as you are at the beginning. So worst case scenario, you stumble on the run versus if you're going 20, 30 miles an hour on the bike or if you're swimming, the, the danger is a lot higher. Mm -hmm. So the people who watch like the Tour de France for the cycling aspect of it, mm -hmm. you mentioned a little bit you're able to draft in some of the other NCAA events. Is that something that, especially when talking with your teammates, you see in the Tour the guys will they'll be spread out they'll be blocking other teams is that sort of what you're talking about in terms of the strategic advantage that you could have when you have a full team yeah absolutely so it if you get a good swimmer you can get out of the water quickly and then mm -hmm. you can get into the front pack of bikers and so if you're directly behind somebody on a bike you're using a lot less energy because they're taking a lot of the wind mm -hmm. and so you can work together so do like a 20 or 30 second pull in the front and then go to the back of the line and then repeat that process mm -hmm. so that not just one person is taking up all the energy. Okay. So it's sort of like uh, 
I know at least know back when I was in high school uh, for football, we would have everyone lined up in the line. We have to run around the field and then the last person has to come up to the front. It's just sort of like that, but reverse, just exactly. to save that energy and, and to help your other teammates. Right. Um, so switching gears and talking a little bit about yourself, uh, I know you recently competed in an Ironman competition. Uh, can you walk us through about the location of that, how that went for you, and uh, and I guess what your experience was? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, uh, for clarification for listeners, it was an Ironman 70.3, so it's a half Ironman distance. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to brag about <laughs> a, a, a longer race than I have done. Um, so it was the Ironman World Championships 70.3 in Nice, France. Oh, wow. So um, before I got hired for this job, I qualified from Ironman 70.3 Atlantic City mm -hmm. to compete in the World Championship. And the way they do that is you have to register and sign up everything day of. Oh, um, wow. So that was August of last year. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew this trip was coming up. Um, so my wife and I made it a little bit of a, a vacation because we hadn't been abroad. Um, and it was 3,000 or so. I think it was 3,200 male competitors on uh, Sunday the 9th oh, of wow. September. Um, and because it's in France, you have the opportunity to go up a lot of mountains. So mm -hmm. the bike course was quite grueling, about a 20-mile climb in the, the French Alps. <laughs> so it was, a, it was an experience for sure. Um, we had a great time. I mean, France is a beautiful country. The swimming in the Mediterranean was kind of an out-of-body experience. It's just, it's just a, an amazing country. Um, but yeah, so having the experience of competing with 3,000 people, seeing bikers really close to each other, um, just in being able to interact, talk about the fact that I'm a collegiate coach because mm -hmm. triathletes are all just really excited about triathlon. Yep. Um, and a lot of people didn't know that it was even a thing. So just being able to spread the word is, is a really great opportunity. Yeah, and that's something that's really unique with the NCAA going on right now, adding triathlon as a female or as a women's sport. Uh, and then also USA Triathlon really embracing that. And I know AIC received the grant to s help get things started. Uh, this program, I believe, for the first in New England or second in New England. Uh, can you talk about what the NCAA has done to really bring the triathlon from the professional or competitive realm into the amateur uh, collegiate realm? Yeah, so uh, like you said, they've partnered with USA Triathlon, and USA Triathlon has started giving out a bunch of grants. There's currently 11 Division II schools, and like you said, we're one of two in New England. Uh, the other is Northern Vermont <coughs> University, and they're the ones that we've been competing against head-to-head, -head, uh, which is it's great that we have another team locally that we can meet at local races to compete with. Uh, but USA Triathlon, in giving the grants and kind of pushing for a collegiate or an NCAA sport, Mm -hmm. uh, in triathlon is because they want to get more people prepared for the Olympics and for triathlon. Uh, and there's just not that much of a high school or college yeah. to pick from right now. Mm -hmm. So having that influence from USA Triathlon, having them help us recruit. I have a lot of contacts within USA Triathlon that gives me, you know, club email addresses, other coaches, just networking so that we can really try and build a base because like I said earlier a lot of people don't even know the sport exists within the sport and so mm -hmm. a lot of people who don't know about triathlon at all of course they're not going to know so when I'm recruiting it it's hard to find people who are like oh triathlon yeah of course that's what I've been dreaming of doing in college <laughs> you know like people don't say that yep so you, we've been searching for like cross-country athletes or swimmers just to kind of bridge the gap but uh yeah you NCAA and, and USAT has been extremely helpful in in creating this program um, so how, I don't say easy or hard, but what's it like if you were to take a cross-country athlete and then transform them into a triathlon athlete? I mean, obviously they have one component of it, but how much work really goes into the background of getting them prepared for that first that first race? Yeah, so it's um, 
it's kind of like taking any one single sport athlete and telling them that they have to do three <laughs> every week. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a lot of work. Um, the biggest thing, I- and I'll just use your example. So if I have somebody who has a cross-country background, I know that for the most part, they're going to have a pretty good cardiovascular base. Mm-hmm. They're going to have some en- endurance in their muscles. Um, but we're going to have to teach them a lot of technique, like I talked about earlier with the swim. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, people have done biking before, and maybe they've gone swimming in a lake or something like that before. But learning how to swim efficiently, learning how to bike efficiently, and then get to what they're comfortable in the run for cross-country is really where it, it takes shape. So we've been having uh, my assistant, Benoit Campion, who's a, a grad student here, mm-hmm. do weekly presentations, um, talking about like cadence and cycling efficiency, talking about swim form, talking about why we're going to do injury prevention stuff. Mm-hmm. And so basically we do two to three days of each event per week. And then on Saturdays, we try to do a bike and a run right after the bike mm-hmm. just to get their muscles used to, to bi- running right after cycling because it is a little bit different than just going out and for a run or going out for a ride um, but yeah so it's it's a lot of knowledge in the beginning um, and coaching people talk about training age mm-hmm. so like if you're an athlete who's been doing cross-country for four years your training age is four years mm-hmm. that athlete is then zero when they come to my program because they've likely never done triathlon before mm-hmm. and so we have to start way back so you have to scale back the intensity because you don't want to get them hurt you know overuse injuries and things like that and you want to make sure that they're prepared mentally to not get overwhelmed so we just take everything day by day and do a lot of knowledge and information based stuff now obviously that's a lot that you've learned over your time as a triathlete what i so guess what made you want to become a triathlete and then how many races have you competed in or at least that you've kept count of and and what's your what's your future goals uh for the, your next upcoming races Jeez, that's a it's a heavy hitter <laughs> um so i started triathlon in college at UMass. I mm-hmm. went to UMass Amherst. Um, I found out that there was a group of guys similar to myself who thought about doing cross country, but we didn't want to necessarily commit to a varsity sport. Mm-hmm. We had kind of burned out from doing track, cross country, and indoor track in high school, um, but we wanted to just get together. So we all met at the running club, and a few of us had some swim experience, but weren't like competitive swimmers. Mm-hmm. Long story short, we decided to start the triathlon club there. So we started the triathlon club with no experience at all and somehow it, people just kept asking me questions and mm-hmm. so then i essentially became the team captain and started writing practices just based on like youtube and google <laughs> where we could find yeah exactly like i didn't really know what i was doing but i had a fair amount of experience and i was a sports science major so i was e- extremely interested in learning how the body moves and mm-hmm. how to get people to be more efficient and whatever um so yeah once I was competing in triathlon in college, I was hooked. I did a sprint triathlon just locally in Ludlow first, mm-hmm. and then I couldn't stop. It was just, I loved it so much. Um, I didn't realize that I had a pretty good swim ability because I was a runner growing up. Um, but my swim times, in as far as percentages based on the other people in the races, were significantly better than my run times were. Mm-hmm. So um, just being able to you know, kind of rely on that um, was good because it gets you out in the be- in the in the lead in the race Mm -hmm. and then you can kind of settle in and and be more tactical um so it just can't almost became like chess uh which i really enjoy so it just it was it was really exciting and i just kept having the hunger for more uh a lot of people who start triathlon kind of have the idea of iron man in their head Mm -hmm. and so they're like i just want to do an iron man i have a lot of clients for my own business where 
they sign up, they've never done even a sprint triathlon before. They're like, mm-hmm. I want to do an Ironman. I still haven't done an Ironman, and I've probably done, to answer one of your questions, uh, at least 40 triathlons. Oh, wow. Um, not as many of the longer distances, but mm-hmm. when you count the sprints that locally that I just do for fun or for training yep. um, that just add up, and then uh, the Olympics that are for listeners half or twice that distance, and then the half irons, that's what I'm focusing on now, mm-hmm. um, which is three times the sprint distance. So the half iron that I'm doing now, uh, that I focus on now, is a 1.2-mile swim, a 56-mile bike, and then a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. Oh, wow. Where And where would that be taking place? Uh, so all over. Uh, there's Triathlon is kind of pretty popular right now, and mm-hmm. the 70.3 distance is a little bit of – uh, an emerging sport within triathlon mm-hmm. uh, because you kind of get a little bit of that Ironman experience, but you don't have to train for 30 hours a week and you yep. can still have a life, um, <laughs> which a lot of people really appreciate uh, being able to, you know, work and have a family. Yep. Um, so they're, they're popping up everywhere. Uh, to be honest with you, there's quite a few in new England. Obviously the weather is a bit challenging, mm-hmm. um, but we have them all over the country and all over the world. So the ones I've done have spanned the country and now in Nice. Awesome. Well, as we wrap up here, uh, just one last question that I like to ask every every person who comes on to our podcast, and that is, what moment in life has influenced you the most? Yeah, so um, obviously, a, a kind of a hard question to answer with just one moment. Um, but well, the if there's multiple, you can you can give yeah, multiple. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. I I don't mind sticking to the rules. <laughs> um, the I would say that the one moment based on where I am right now mm-hmm. would be having fractured my back uh, in high school. Oh, wow. And because that then trickled into cross training, which was cycling and swimming in high mm-hmm. school, which then trickled into being more interested in triathlon and then not having any idea that I was planning on becoming a coach in general, let alone a triathlon coach. And then having a business where I do triathlon coaching and coaching here at AIC all for triathlon. Triathlon has just become my life. And, you know, my wife is a massage therapist and she focuses on sports. Uh, and working with triathletes and endurance athletes. So I think that had that not happened, and obviously in the moment that was just a horrifying experience, um, I don't know that I would have ended up doing triathlon in college and then becoming who I am today. So somehow that turned into a positive thing. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's always a great mindset to have is being able to turn whatever could be a negative or a setback into a positive and be able to really rebound from that. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you never know what's going to turn around. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Ryan, and uh, good luck when you guys uh, have the East Region Qualifier on October 19th. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Yo Jacket Experience. A couple home games for you this week. On Wednesday, September 25th, men's soccer will be hosting Lemoyne at 7 p.m. This is a rematch of which the Yo Jackets upset the Dolphins last year in the first round of the NA10 tournament. On Saturday, football will host Southern Connecticut State at noon, and women's tennis will round out the weekend on Sunday versus Franklin Pierce at Forest Park at 1 p.m. Thank you so much, and we'll see you this weekend.